0: this week we form a bond with David Arnold and get in touch with our inner werewolf with Sam Richardson all that and more on the movie podcast that knows that attending a film festival is just like climbing Everest it's hot it's at sea level and if you need some refreshment you can always stop somewhere for a croison. Hello, pod. I'm Helen O'Hara and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Obviously, our beloved leader, Chris Hewitt, is away this week, uh, so I'm afraid you're stuck with me hosting. But never fear, because I am joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up, and in the spirit of Space Jam 2 this week, uh, we have Amon Warman, our very own LeBron James. Uh, he told me I had to say that because otherwise uh, he, I'd get shouted at. So hello, Amon, how are you
1: doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'll take that. I take, I'll take that. LeBron James, I'm a big admirer. He's probably going to go down as the second greatest basketball player of all time, uh, which is no small thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I'll take that. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was, it was that or Tweety Pie. So I was, you know, I thought, <laughs> you, know.
1: you chose wisely.
0: <laughs> and we have, of course, uh James Dyer, our very own Marvin the Martian. Just don't get between him and his Illudium Q36 explosive space modulator.
2: I don't know what one of those is, but I know I want one.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I know that's the important thing. It, I think it vaporizes things, but he never seems to get run to firing it, so it's Excellent. hard to say. <laughs> How are you both? Yeah, good.
2: Good. <laughs> wow. Too. I mean, look, we're on the verge of, you know, all returning to the big wide world to face a deadly pandemic that's almost certainly going to claim all of us so other than that you know we're fine you Well, know. speak for
0: yourself i'm still in quarantine after going to Cairns. Oh, so. that's right
2: you're typhoid helen i've yeah. forgotten all about that yeah. i'm
0: not actually i have a i have a, my day two COVID test which you have to take i've gotten the results this morning and i'm negative so that's good nice. so yeah
1: i feel like in chris's absence we should mention uh sunday and the football uh which was heartbreaking uh, I feel better than I did that day. Um, but yeah, that was a little sad. So close, yet so far. A couple of different swings of the boot could be having a very different conversation.
2: It's very true. And I, I I actually, well, I see this is a massive spoiler for the next Pilot TV podcast where I <laughs> promised that I would reveal this, but I can exclusively reveal to you here and now I did watch the football. <gasps> <laughs> and oh my you, God. So you underestimate how big a deal this is. Because yeah, this is absolutely true. Football. And I've said this before, but the last time. I watched and was engaged with a competitive sporting event
3: mm.
2: <laughs> was when the ultimate warrior lost his belt to Sergeant Slaughter at the 1990 Royal Rumble. And that is a hundred percent true. And so I've gone from that to this. And let me tell you, it was pretty fucking tense. It was pretty <laughs> fucking tense. It was as Ted Lasso would say, a wigwam and a teepee. too tense. And, uh, And yeah, like I I was stressed out all the way through it. Mm -hmm. I was stressed out. The penalties were one of the most excruciating moments of my life. Like, first of all, can we just talk about who came up with the penalty shootout thing? Because that's like, that's a heart attack in a (laughs) jar. That is right there. Like genuinely, that's that's borderline heart failure. But like, explain to me, maybe I've picked the wrong two people here. But when one is watching (laughs) sport, does one enjoy the sport or does one just feel stressed? Because I found when the Italians had the ball and were entering, going near our little goal thing, I just felt really anxious. And then no. when England got the ball, I said, and relax. And, the, I the ball oh, and relax. And right. the whole match was like that. And I can't yeah. say I enjoyed it. I just was very, very stressed, but very invested.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, the first time for everything, I suppose. Except, well, since 1990, of course.
2: Yeah, of course. I mean, let me tell you, when he lost that, when fucking the macho King Randy Savage came in, clocked him over the head, knocked him out, the ref didn't see it, Sardis thought to pin him, took the belt. That was a fucking travesty.
0: Yeah, right up there with Nadal Federer, 2008. Uh-huh. Um,
2: really, really. Was, was he also, uh, was he also double teamed behind the referee's back.
0: Good Lord. I mean, no, it was the singles no,
1: final. I should I should rephrase. <laughs> I should rephrase. Even back in the WWF days, it wasn't like that. I will say that you, you are watching football correctly. It was all part of the experience, especially in a match with those sort of stakes, the tension, uh, the happiness when you score, the mm. scared, scaredness when they're in the box, all that sort of stuff. That is part of the watching football experience.
0: So you're doing it right. Yeah, here's my <laughs> thing though, right? You know, England got to the final of the Euros, which mm-hmm. they've never done before, right? And and at full time had drawn the match. They had done well by any rational means. Mm-hmm. And so we get players apologizing and the manager literally talking about, you know, maybe he'd, he he's stayed as welcome. Ireland got to the quarterfinals of, what was it, the World Cup 1990, and there were like ticker tape parades. I just feel like maybe you guys need a sense of proportion with your football. Maybe, just maybe. I just want people to think about that possibly, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not Federer in the Wimbledon finals, so you don't have to get this invested. So, you know, come on, guys, come on.
2: I feel that I, I think I've watched too many kind of post-apocalyptic sci-fi things to, to really enjoy something like football. Like, I feel like if it were Speedball, mm. you know, something like that, or <laughs> Salute of the Jugger, a.k.a. The Blood of Heroes, sure. um, I think Death I'd race. maybe enjoy, indeed. I, I think it, there needs to be more peril to it, a certain, maybe, <laughs> I, I, dare I say, it, a blood sport element to it. I'm just maiming. saying A light maiming, a couple of fatalities, just to, just to really increase the stakes. Mm-hmm. you totally I I, wanted I to the more. start
1: of to, uh, the Tomorrow War, in that final, didn't he? Yes. I really did.
0: That's why he was watching. He was just hoping the portal would open.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. And then he
0: could go forward in time, get his Illudium Q36 space modulator and and really go to town on those aliens. It would have been great. It all comes together. Well, anyway, uh, enough enough nonsense from us. We, of course, do have a podcast to do, and Chris has specifically asked <laughs> that we make this one a tight sixty to eighty minutes because there, there's a first time for everything, guys. Per se- so you know, mm. per section, <laughs> per <laughs> section. Uh, so it is time for the listeners' question. Um, I gave you a few options, and the one that you two seem most interested in, God help us all, comes from at Rodders O Four, who asks. If you could have any horror movie character as a travelling companion, a la Pokemon, who would you choose?
2: Now, I feel I need to say something first. And I (laughs) don't know what it says about me, but I think I maybe inadvertently misunderstood this question. So, in my head, it didn't even occur to me that you could choose anyone other than the villain like it just yes. didn't cross my mind like <laughs> i just assumed it would be like kind of like pennywise i choose you and you throw the ball out and then pennywise <laughs> kills whoever it is that you're fighting like that in my head was where we were <laughs> um but now i realize of course that actually they're saying you know do you want to hang out with the frog brothers or sex machine from till Dust or Til dawn and like i'm like, okay yeah but well, that makes <laughs> more sense but I, that hadn't crossed my mind.
1: It doesn't surprise me that you left to the villain, just as it doesn't, just, just <laughs> as it shouldn't surprise anyone that I left to the good guys, the sensible dudes in horror movies who have your back. Uh, because my answer to this question is Lillivel in Get Out. That dude <laughs> was the perfect wingman. He tried to warn Daniel Kaluuya about what was going on, mm-hmm. and when he didn't, and when when Kaluuya didn't take that advice, he still had his back. He still sort of you know rocked up to the crazy mansion to save him. Saved his ass. L- Lil Rel. That is the answer. Little Rel. You,
2: you, you say out. that, but I reckon if I had Pennywise in my Pokeball and you had Lil Rel in yours, you'd be <laughs> fucked.
0: Okay. But, but, sorry, you this was a incorrect. traveling companion. Not a, not a jubbling <laughs> companion. A la Pokemon. A la Pokemon. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but traveling. Like, I think it was like, I, I assumed he was thinking like detective Pokemon where you just kind of, you know, go um, around and have a little adventure and, you know, there's a Pokemon no there. No? Okay, sure. I mean, I may be wrong. But I don't
2: know. You know, it was me with like, I was going because if, if you're doing your like your pokey lineup, like your pokey, you know how like, yeah. you'd have like, you've played Pokemon game, right? So you'd have like five no. Pokemon in your little Pokeballs and you'd swap oh. them in and out to be like, you know, I'd have like Pennywise, I'd have like Jason oh. Voorhees, I'd have like the alien, I'd have the Predator, and Amon <laughs> would have Lil Rel. And all I'm saying is, they wouldn't end well, end well for him.
0: That, I mean, you are really, I mean, that is a hell of a choice. Ooh, the thing
2: from It Follows, that would be even better, because (laughs) it is, better because, Helen, like Thanos, it
1: is inevitable, and uh, that's why I like it. See, you're not incorrect when it comes to actual fighting. When it comes to travelling companions, do you really want to hang out with any of those people? I mean,
0: (laughs) I mean, look, if you're allowed to Alien, does that mean I'm allowed Hicks as a travelling companion? Because if so... Dwayne Hicks, yes, That's my answer. You are. Wait, no, what? Dwayne? Was he Dwayne? Dwayne.
2: Dwayne. I have to Only in the special edition, but yes, Dwayne.
0: No, I'm sticking with my answer. I mean, it's a, it's a blow, uh, the fact that his name is Dwayne, but I'm willing to overlook it. <laughs> um, I don't know that we're talking fights, James. I really do think really? that you're going on holiday with Pennywise, <laughs> you weirdo.
2: Yeah. I, I, I know what you mean.
0: Although Maine is lovely this time of year, and, you know, Acadia National Park is quite nearby, so you could have a nice time on a day Plus...
2: Trip. If it were a water sports holiday, he'd be really useful because, you know,
1: he (laughs) floats. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. That is a photo album I'd be intrigued to see.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes. Isn't it only down there that everything floats? What does that mean in terms of holidays, I wonder? Does that mean you'd go caving together? Splinking?
2: Um, No, I'm not caving with Pennywise. Thanks very much.
0: Okay, Just, just to be clear. Um, all right, so Lil Rel seems like a much more sensible option. Like he's one of the few people who seems to have a clue how to actually survive a horror movie. Randy from Scream mm. would also fall into that category. He wouldn't be a bad guy. It'd be guy so
2: annoying him. you'd end up killing him yourself, thus defeating Ooh. the purpose. I feel.
0: I don't know. He was quite. I quite fancied him in Scream too. Look, maybe that's, wow. too, that's too much of an insight person. into my life. Um- <laughs> I don't know. But-
2: it's, it's Surely there's got to be a lost boy. you'd want. There must be a lost boy you'd want to hang out with. They're all a bit hunky, aren't they, Helen? Oh, they're all Which, very who's, hunky. Your, who's your lost boy of choice?
0: It was the dark-haired one who barely speaks.
2: Oh, uh, not the one who looks like Twisted Sister, but I, but no.
0: I think his name was Dwayne as well. <laughs> <laughs> there's
2: a fucking theme here, Helen.
0: But I didn't really? Is Dwayne is the dark-haired
2: I, one? I'm almost 100% sure he <laughs> oh, is also no. called Dwayne, yes. Oh, this is terrifying.
0: <laughs> oh, what's this going to do to my friendship with The Rock? Oh, God.
1: <laughs> oh, just because it's on the brain right now, and we're going to be talking about it later, mm. I wouldn't mind hanging out with some of the characters from the First Street movies. They're a cool bunch. Yeah, the yes, they night are night a tour. cool they bunch. Are, yeah. I had a
2: lot of fun hanging out with them, and we'll be getting into that, I think, in some detail later on. But uh, yeah, that was, that, was, that was jolly.
0: Jolly. <laughs> oh, it's a jolly holiday with Pennywise. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Terrifying. Get on, you
1: know, photo album, James with Pennywise. I want to see what you, what, what, what that looks like.
2: Incidentally, I have 100% confirmed his name is, in fact, Dwayne. <laughs> wow. I can confirm the hot vampire that Helen wishes to take on her camping trip with Dwayne Hicks is also Dwayne the vampire.
0: Well, I, d- so. I didn't say why I was taking both Dwaynes at once. That seems. I cried it crowded in the tent. So from well, else, so.
2: well, Helen. <laughs> oh, this has gone in an unexpected direction. <laughs> it really has. Um,
0: Shall we draw a veil? <laughs> <laughs> not least over the door of the tent, but also indeed. that. Indeed, yes, absolutely. Yes. Well, let us consider that question answered, hopefully, to James Rodriguez's satisfaction. And, and with indeed, some speed. Dwayne's. Dwayne's. Look, Dwayne is always the answer. What can I tell you? I don't know. <laughs> so, yes, well done, uh, James. Thank you for that. And um, sorry about everything else. <laughs> okay, so if you would like to send us your question uh, to be read out and treated with similar laser focused intensity on the empire podcast please do get in touch we are on let's be honest just get in touch via twitter we're on twitter at empire magazine if you use the hashtag empire podcast we're much more likely to see it also do slide into chris's dms because he does check them sometimes and we'll look there for questions next week when he is back all right let's go on we have i think a guest to talk about um Shall we start with David Arnold? For it is he, the composer of many of the Bond films of the last really 20 years, nearly at this point. And he is part of a huge 150th anniversary concert at the Royal Albert Hall this coming Monday, for which he has written a special new piece of music called A Circle of Sound, because, you know, it's a circular venue, a circle of sound. It's a concert venue and it's circular. Look, it's going to be awesome. Uh, there are still, I believe, some tickets available. It's on Monday. Oh, and David Arnold is uh, yeah, fantastic and uh, <laughs> interesting and one of our favourite composers. So please enjoy this interview, which he did with Chris. Yeah,
4: well, thanks for doing this, David. Uh, you must be pretty busy.
5: Yeah, it's incredibly busy and much busier than I thought it might be. But um, I think it's always the way with me. Um, you know, it tends to go up to the wire a little bit. My friend, uh, Jeff Foster, he's an engineer, always says to me, I don't know why anyone bothers, as a composer, doing anything until three weeks before you we have to deliver it because that's when all the work gets done. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, no, a lot of it was done before that obviously, but there's all the other things because it's, you know, writing the introductions and then recording what they call the voice of God for these events. You know, the one that plays over the system, Mm. Uh, so you're not relying on someone being at the side of the stage with a mic saying, you know, please welcome Mr. blah, blah, blah that all has to be done beforehand so uh, I'm in the middle of just writing those and then I've got to record those today and then tomorrow I think I've got to print out all my little electronic stems and bits and pieces which won't be orchestral and uh, then I think we're with the choir on Friday and then Saturday at the Hall for Tech and then Sunday the first actual rehearsal and then Monday dress rehearsal and show
4: Oh, okay. So you're at the stage where you haven't actually heard it all together yet.
5: We haven't heard anything. No, no one's seen it. I mean, this is this is the, the what's brilliant about our musicians over here is that they don't see anything till sometimes two hours before the performance. Uh, I mean, in in this instance, we've actually got a day before the the performance. But normally, if you're doing a film concert or you know any sort of concert, you tend just to be able to get one rehearsal in. Mm-hmm. Maybe one and a half, so it's like once through the entire program with a few notes, and then you do the show. Um, and they're sight reading it, you know, they're sight reading it, but the sight reading is, is just extraordinary. And once they've been through it once or twice, you know, then then it's another piece of music here. Is it really? It's quite, it's quite mind blowing, really, how brilliant they are. But then it shouldn't really be that surprised because they've been practicing seven or eight hours a day since the age of six. You know, to get to this point. And even when they're not, um, it's a bit like being an athlete, you know, you've got to be match fit. So if you get the phone call saying, Can you be in Gateshead tomorrow to do the, you know, 10,000 meters, you can say yes. Mm. Uh, if you get a call, Can you do the right of Spring tomorrow night at the Royal Festival Hall? Yes, I can. Uh, so you've got to be constantly match fit to be able to do it. And as a musician, well, it's about the only profession apart from probably athletics where you have to do that. And you have to do it for the entirety of your professional life. You know, I mean, dentists on a Sunday or a Saturday, if they're not doing any dentistry, don't just pop in and do six hours of fillings, <laughs> you know, to, to keep up. <laughs> uh, but if you're playing the violin, you've got to.
4: I, I don't know about that. I think if you want to be at the very top end of dentistry, then you, you put the work in.
5: Yeah, but- I wonder what a top end filling was actually like compared to a regular you know, happy shopper filling.
4: I don't know. <laughs> marble. Presumably, the queen doesn't just get regular filling. She doesn't get like the NHS stuff. She gets marble.
5: Marble? How mm. would that even stick? I thought it was absolutely, well, I don't know, maybe they made some sort of paste out of it. See, David, I don't know. I'm not, we're I'm not, not top-end dentists. We're it's not one em- of the <laughs> It's one of the things that I haven't got into, but now we've spoken about it, you know, you know what the next album's going to be about.
4: <laughs> have you been keeping yourself busy then during the uh, during the pandemic? Have you been keeping? Have you been...
5: Uh, well, I've been writing this, yeah, uh, and and then actually, well, for the first half of it, actually, not really. First half of it, you know, like everyone else, I think, just sitting there looking out the window, wondering when it was all going to go away, and now I'm still doing that, but I'm used to it, so. Um, yeah, uh, you know, th- writing this and playing and you know, generally mucking about on equipment. You know, that's a good thing about doing this job. Um, you know, I've got a little setup at home uh, and I can write pretty much wherever I, wherever I am. If you're going to start doing serious work, then you know, all my you know, the amps and keyboards and guitars and things are somewhere else. But they're, you know, it's e- it's easy to it's fairly easy to write on a minimal setup nowadays um but yeah i was uh, i did a lot of cooking which uh, i was very happy about because that's my that's my other favourite thing to do <laughs> i've
4: done a lot of eating not so much cooking but a lot of eating
5: yeah yeah i can re- i can recommend a sandwich to you which is nothing to do with cooking but it just made me think of it that i came upon i listened to, i was listening to a podcast about the history of peanut butter uh and the guy who was presenting it was saying that there is a sandwich which was an american so obviously, you know, it was slightly different terminology. But what it comes down to is if you can get like sort of that supermarket style white bread, you know, the soft white sliced bread,
3: mm-hmm.
5: uh, it has to be quite low lowbrow. Uh, and then uh, peanut butter, fairly mm-hmm. generous smidge of that, spread of that. Uh, mayonnaise, another hefty blob of that. And mm-hmm. then um, ready salted crisps. <laughs> and then the and then the other piece of bread, and yeah, that's the general reaction. The general reaction is, <sighs> but then you taste it and you go, oh, "Where have I? Where's this been my entire life?" <laughs> and you will you will go home and try it now. All right, yeah, I'll walk the, the you ten might, feet. You, you might already be here, exactly. Yeah. and I don't know if you I don't know if you've got those ingredients.
4: I've got, I've, got, I've got mayonnaise, definitely. I've got bread, definitely. I might have to get the rest. So if I disappear at any point during our chat and you hear the front yeah. door close, I've Listen, just gone off to can, do some shopping.
5: I can, I can talk for the nation. I can just keep going and you can nip out and get <laughs> Or try that new gorillas service, you know, the ones that come around your house in 10 yeah. minutes after you. Yeah, that's yeah. unbelievable. And I don't know how they do that. Unless they've got some sort of underground shop near your house. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. Crazy. <laughs>
4: Maybe I'll give him anyway, a call. We're
5: off, we're off topic. We're off we're topic off again.
4: Topic. This is yeah. This is uh, this is outrageous. So yes, so this is,
5: this, is, this is my modus operandi. You know?
4: <laughs> At some point, we might meander back on the topic for for a few seconds. Yeah. but uh, But yeah, I'm, well, I'm, this is
5: the problem when you're locked up. Yeah. When you're locked up, especially when you're locked up as a musician, because in a way, being a composer is like the perfect um, sort of schooling for being locked away in a pandemic, because most of the time you are by yourself in a room anyway uh it's not very often when you're not so the actual difference it made was minimal in terms of how i spend my day you know a mm. lot of the time i am actually on my own uh but the one thing that you do kind of this is talking to other people <laughs> uh about other things you know and uh so it's uh it's a bit like when you see a composer in award ceremony you know they're kind of blinking and stumbling around because there's daylight and you know there's free beer, which obviously is like a magnet. <laughs> uh and they're just surprised to be anywhere, you know, other than in a studio. So it's always a delight to be um to be stimulated in this way externally. <laughs> <laughs>
4: What's your working day like? So when you're working on a circle of sound, uh what do you do? Do you get up do you, do you get up in the morning and think okay, I have a I have a my work day set out for me. I'm going to be working on this for 8 hours or do you wait for inspiration to strike?
5: Well, I like the phrase inspiration is for amateurs. Um I can't remember It's an American songwriter said that and I, in a way I kind of quite believe it. Um, I mean inspiration's a luxury. Um I find inspiration is 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 deadlines and fear those are the things that make me do something um and sometimes the idea you know mm. <laughs> most of the time it's actually the idea but the actually getting it done I, I spend a lot of time thinking about things and letting it sort of trickle down and 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 uh, percolate uh and then um after i've left enough time that music starts turning up in my head and i kind of wait for that really and that's when i know i'm kind of ready also having lined up every pencil you know with a protractor and a and a and a leveling you know ruler so everything is just right and then uh, i know i've got to start working because i can't do any more tidying up procrastination's finished <laughs> i've actually got to, i've actually got to get down to it and then the whole place turns into chaos and it's quite messy but what's interesting about this was that it's uh, i didn't have anything to look at you know i mean, most of the time if i'm writing for something I'll have something to look at. I mean, the last time this happened was on the Olympics, so I had some experience of it. But normally, if you know you've got to do a scene a day, you know, or a certain amount of time a day, you will get the scene up, and you're looking at it passing by, and you—I I look at the movie or the scene, and and uh, I'm thinking about what this music could be, and then that's what I start doing. Um, but when you've got sort of nebulous, sort of impressionistic ideas floating yeah. around that don't ha- don't have to stick to anything specifically. Uh, it's a sort of a freedom that i 'm absolutely not used to, and it was quite interesting actually trying to formulate these ideas without a real reference point other than what do I think about where this could go and do you know what I, I could go over here now because it doesn't matter as long as I can you know relate it to the the, the, the subject matter at hand and, and uh, you know if it's got the same kind of emotional. Twang as the rest of the piece, then you know, you can completely change to you know, there's something going changing, like sort of time signatures and instrumentation in the middle of things, and you know, you end up with a completely different place to where you started. But it all comes down to the core thing, which is does the center of it say something about the idea of what it is we're talking about? And this concert. The only way I could really write it rather than write I knew it was going to have to be between 60 and 75 minutes. They said they wanted between 60 and 75 minutes. And I thought, well, I'm not a concert composer. I wouldn't really write a 60 or a 75-minute piece. Mm. Um, and I think for a completely new work, it might be a bit of an ask for an audience as well, which is uh, what is effectively a birthday party. You know, it's a birthday concert yeah. and it's a celebration of 150 years of the Albert Hall and everything that's sort of happened in it. So I thought, well, I'll break it down into chapters, and I spent quite a lot of time in the archives at the hall, uh, picking through all the different things that they've got. They had photographs, they had the drawings, the original architects' drawings of the of the hall, you know, which were just stunningly beautiful. the the The, the calligraphy was—you could look at that all day—and um, old photographs of, you know, labourers wearing top hats. You know these, these these guys built the Albert Hall with no machinery. You know there was mm-hmm. no um, there was no tractors or cranes or lorries or or cement mixers or um, you know everything was rope and wood and horses and pulleys and people, and that's what got the thing made, uh, and it was a miracle in, a, in in a lot of ways. So I'm finding all these things which are kind of they they sort of come under different umbrellas. So. There was this my opening piece, was the first thing I wrote, was the idea, the idea, followed by the conception and the execution of the idea and the building of the idea, and the reveal and the opening of the idea. That was the kind of journey that the first piece takes. And then there are a lot of other charitable, I said there's a lot of charitable outreach work. So there's a section on community. So I write something about that. Mm -hmm. Um, about the suffragettes. They had all their early meetings there. Um, Very powerful speeches given from the stage at suffragettes. Um, uh, War and Remembrance, lots of remembrance services that have happened. Uh, Yeah, sporting uh, events. So all these things kind of collected together, all these different things. I thought like, well, I can have all these moments under one umbrella. So Nicola Adams, the, the double gold Olympic medal winning boxer, uh who was the first female fighter to box at the hall uh is introducing the section on sport uh which and i wasn't sure what to do with that and as a joke i sort of said to myself maybe i'll just start with a game of table tennis and and actually that's how it starts <laughs> it starts with table tennis uh and then it goes into tennis and 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 basketball and boxing and then the orchestra turn up um so there are things like that where you try and, you know, you try and encompass the spirit of these things yeah. in one piece of music. Obviously it's not specific, but it is to hopefully when you hear it in sport, for instance, you'll hear the, the, the gladiatorial, you know, color and tone of, mm. of, of sport, of, of sporting activity and what it means it's about winning. Uh, and, uh, with the, you know, with the, uh, uh, the the science one that Brian Cox is introducing, mm. who's the most amazing brain. Uh, uh, I spoke to him last week for about an hour. And by the end of it, I thought, pretty th- sure that he convinced me that either i don't exist or the or the planet doesn't or something uh, it was just it was just amazing anyway he's introducing one on science because there's been a lot of scientific work done and yeah. it's the actual you know the original name of it was the uh, uh the, the the national hall for um center for arts and sciences um and that has the sort of fizzing and of, of sort of chemistry and the sort of warmth of biology and the and the kind of, mechanics of of uh physics uh and the sound of the future and you know all these kinds of things so each of them suggested different tones and different colors and that's really what it's about Um, 10 chapters each introduced by someone uh fascinating and wonderful uh, uh and um followed by the actual piece itself
4: Amazing and uh, obviously the Royal Albert Hall. That was the last time. Uh, the last time I was there was was for your concert with Michael Cicchino. um Yes, that's when you guys were in the in the studio last with us as well.
5: Yes, it was wonderful. It's a shame he was there. <laughs> he did he
4: did his level best to bring down the whole proceedings, but uh oh,
5: no we There's we mucked walks. through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I got to humour him. He's won an <laughs> Oscar, so I mean, you have to. <laughs>
4: I think I think I think you won that night, uh, David. I think you won that
5: night. On, I do I'd agree. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with you. I think uh, I'd say no contest, but he's got a slightly different angle on it.
4: <laughs> yeah, it was just it was just you know it was the the hometown favorite. You were
5: landing yeah, heavy punches. Good, he was clinging on try. to you. Yeah, yeah, he did. I thought he I thought he, he showed good spirit. <laughs> And he pulls out like the equivalent of putting the uh, you know the horse's uh, horseshoe in your glove by bringing out the director of Batman and announcing that he's going to write that on the stage, you know. (laughs) Which I thought like, well, I didn't do that. I didn't bring out all my guys saying like, hi, Dave, we think you're brilliant. Can you score my next bill? (laughs) I'm above that kind of thing.
4: That's just that's just petty showmanship. That's what it was when you know you let the music do the talking. I think it's what we've come to expect.
5: I mean, one of the really annoying things about Michael is um, – well, there are many, but one of them was that uh, I find myself sometimes on sort of random playlists of film music, uh, and there's a queue comes up and goes, oh, this is good. Who's this? And it's bloody Michael Giacchino. <laughs> I mean, I wish it wasn't, but a lot of the time it is. So, um, you know, as a—you know, I'm a reasonable man, and, and uh, you know, I would at least offer that up as, uh, yeah. as some sort of sucker for him. <laughs> I mean, I think he's only doing six films this year. Poor sod.
4: I <laughs> know uh, it's disgraceful. Where's Where's this next meal coming from?
5: I got no idea. Probably Warner Brothers. <laughs> maybe you're going to get one of those. Maybe get one of those uh, Disney Mickey Mouse shaped pizzas delivered. <laughs> the food at Disneyland is extraordinary. I don't know if you you've ever been, but they do. They obviously do do Mickey Mouse head shaped yeah. pizzas. Which, if you're a child and you're eating Mickey Mouse's head, it's quite odd. But they do another one. They do a dessert for kids, which is basically a white chocolate uh, kind of um, uh, a a sort of raised surface kind of Mickey Mouse face. And then they give you edible paint. So you can actually paint his face and then eat it, which I don't know if that's worse. (laughs) No wonder children are confused.
4: They're just traumatized. Traumatized for life.
5: Oh my God. Eat your heroes. (laughs) So
4: was that that time when were you last in Royal Albert Hall? Was it that? that that gig with uh, chiquino, or?
5: Well, in terms of performing, it was yeah. then um, because it wasn't. Uh, no, no, I went for, uh, he did his uh, Christmas. He did his Christmas show, actually, in, uh, was it November or December of, no- of 2019? So this was a year later. Mm-hmm. Michael, did a, Michael did a Christmas show and I dressed up as part well for Christmas and sang a song there uh, <laughs> for him. Uh, unpaid, I might add. And... Um, <laughs> uh and that was close to when we were hearing about should we really be doing this kind of thing you know yeah. when people started proffering an elbow rather than a hand it was kind of on the cusp of that edging towards that and that was the last time uh i performed there i mean obviously since subsequently i've been back quite a lot because of this uh because of this concert um in the uh, in the archives and for the workshop reports and for the um you know we did some filmed uh interviews and stuff there only a few weeks back um and uh so it's what's i mean it's fascinating being in there when it's empty fascinating being in there when it's empty and they're cleaning it because those (laughs) those sound mushrooms that are in the ceiling come down to be cleaned and so they are lowered down and obviously you don't want to drop one so underneath each one of these they've got what looks like a sort of giant inflatable donut, about twenty feet across, and it's basically a cushion in case in case the thing falls or in case anything happens, and it lands very gently on that, and then all the detritus is hoovered out of it, and they're given a good clean, and then they go back up again for another year. I think they have a, like a week or a two-week um, sort of housekeeping uh, period in the Albert Hall, where the, where all the boxes are cleaned, everything is like properly. Uh, properly looked after but it's amazing being in there when that's happening because you see the chairs in the boxes all taken out and the curtains gone and the you know the front of the box is taken away to be polished and you know the ceiling down and it's you know it's like it's 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 like being in a sort of live action sort of jumanji lego thing (laughs) (laughs) wait wait for it all to be put back together but i do love it i mean i love it as a place um it's hugely inspiring and you do feel Special when you go in there, and whether you are a performer or in the audience, there's something special about it. You know, I can only assume it's in footballing terms if we can, and if it's too early for that, mm-hmm. uh, to think like if you're playing at Wembley, you know, and you get to walk down the tunnel and then you're standing on the turf. But even if you're at Wembley watching a game, walking in there and having this thing reveal itself to you, yeah. you feel special, you know, and, and so you should because. You're a part of the history of that place as well. You know the noise that you make is forever going to be, you know, contained in that, in those walls, on top of everyone else's. So you know, it's you and Frank Sinatra and Pavarotti and Muhammad Ali and you know, Rimsky-Korsikov.
4: Are we still at Wembley now, David, or are we at Royal Albert Hall? I'm confused.
5: Yeah, I think Rimsky-Korsikov scored in extra time. I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I think yeah,
4: yeah, I think it was a cross from Pavarotti. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah, soared yeah. above He's the defense.
5: Not- He's not fast, but he's accurate.
4: <laughs> Amazing stuff. Well, listen, on that note, um, I'm going to let you go. And best of luck on Monday night with the Circle of Sound. Oh,
5: Thank you very much. It's always a, always a pleasure to be unleashed in this wonderful environment that you have.
4: David Arnold, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, bye. Cheers.
0: Time now for some movie news and uh, what's been happening this week. Can I talk about Wheel of Time yet or are we starting with something else? (laughs) Go Helen. Get out (laughs) of your system. (laughs) Wheel of Time! Yay!
2: The wheel turns. The
0: the Wheel of Time turns and ages come and pass, leaving TV shows that also spawn films. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Okay. So this is the series of ridiculously enormous books which spend a lot of time talking about dresses and food and... Um, braids. Travelling from one... There are a lot of braids. People pull on <laughs> braids, but not in a sexy way. People travel from one end of the continent to the other and get into all sorts of scrapes along the way. And there's a whole like three-book section about the ball of the winds that you could honestly skip, except there are some other... bits that happen the of the, the winds. <laughs> oh,
2: my God.
0: However, I freaking love it. Like I have read these books about six times. I just find them extremely comforting and fun. With you? <laughs> but I read fast it's fine it takes me like a week anyway they're coming to TV so we we know already we knew that, that yeah yeah we know that that's yeah. already happened season one is in the bag Rosamund Pike is starring more season
2: Damadred of the blue Agir Helen
0: I, I mean I wasn't going to go into the nerdy detail James I was going to try and make it sound cool but yes she does um So she's kind of like a witch person. She's awesome. Season one's in the bag. Season two has been greenlit. Work is ongoing on season two. They obviously believe in it really strongly. And another sign that they believe in it really strongly is this week's news. We're actually getting to the news section. Zach Stentz is writing a (laughs) film based on these books. So it's going to be called Age of Legends, we believe. And it's A sort of prequel to the books. So the idea in the books is that thousands of years before, there was a time called the Age of Legends, where lots of cool stuff was done with like magic and science combined, and then bad things happened because basically, kind of the devil ruined civilization, essentially, right? So um, then everything went wrong, and we've kind of gone through a bit of a dark age. And you know, when we join the books, it's the beginning of a, a you know recovery, pretty much. Got it. But these would be set. In the age of legends, So these would be all like crazy magic, crazy science, flying things and tiring cities and people doing things with their hands. (laughs) And then obviously the devil turning up and everything going to shit. That could be cool.
2: It could be cool. Alan the Warder, of course, won't have been born at this stage.
0: Al Land, there's a an apostrophe, man. Don't disrespect Duane my people. Dwayne the
2: Warder I don't know. There must be something in this. Uh, in this. I don't. Like, I. I. I feel a little bit like. Do we need this? Like, I'm. I'm excited about the series. I really am. Even though. Even though there are what? How many? Is it fourteen books? Is it fourteen?
0: I think it's like somewhere well, 15, including, 15 the including the prequel I don't
2: remember now these books are at once brilliant but also deeply fucking dull like they're they're a mix <gasps> of those two no be honest, Helen, be honest Ellen, be honest they are a mix of the two
0: I gave you the ball of the winds okay I said that that wasn't necessary but <laughs> the everything of
2: else the sucks hard that's all I'm saying <laughs> you know and don't even get me on the horn of Valir because you know
0: that didn't Take so long? They found I mean, a it took brook. a while. Spoiler. It took
2: a while. We didn't need it. We didn't need it. Just see in and get on with it. That's what I say. But um, you know, I'm interested to see that series. I do feel a bit like they are muddying the bowl of the winds by bringing up a kind of prequel millennia in advance during another age, especially given that the wheel of time turns, Helen. So history all repeats itself. Mm. So presumably, this would just be everything happening previously, which then happens again. Dragons reborn, all that sort of stuff.
0: Mm. Not literal dragons, I'm sorry. (laughs) Not literal dragons, it's very
2: much a metaphor. But, you know, there are loads of great, great, great fancy properties out there, most of which still go unoptioned. And I feel a bit like, okay, Robert Jordan's big epic is ongoing. It's already 14 and a half million books long. Do we need to now invent an entirely new story to bolt on the front of that? Mm, Probably not.
0: Okay. Not. Yes. Would I rather see Grass by Sherry S. Tepper? Sure. Would I yeah. rather see um, The Sag of the Exiles by Julian May? Hundred percent. However, I'm not going to say no to an Age of Legends, not least because it's something that I don't know from the books. We know the fate of certain characters who, basically, the devil like you know took back into hell essentially. So they're going to be around. They're going to be baddies. We know that some people are reborn, so they're going to be goodies. You know, there's going to be a little bit of like some kind of continuity with the show, but not a lot.
1: I'm getting some supernatural vibes from this.
0: I mean, look, everything has supernatural vibes. The supernatural has done everything.
2: There are nips all over the place in Wheel of Time, let me tell you.
0: There are more nipples in Wheel of Time than there are in Supernatural. I'll tell you that, which is not to say much but um <laughs> no the wheel of time is look it's high fantasy this is like your classic classic fantasy it's like a little bit less blood and guts than game of thrones but similar amounts of politicking it's more actually. wholesome
2: though it has yeah, wholesome-ness a wholesomeness to it it feels you know it, it's off that kind of um belgariad type oh it's you tougher know what I mean? than the
0: belgariad
2: marginally marginally but there <laughs> are let's be honest there are certainly books in this which are let's be frank a load of trollocs
0: you're a load of Trollocs. Um, that is a word. Anyway, but the, look, I'm very excited about it. I love the books, like I say. I'm I'm in, open to an Age of Legends series of films. I suspect, I'll be honest, I, I'm very excited about this news. I do think it won't happen, but I'm excited that it's in development, and I'm excited that that is a vote of confidence in the show, you know, because when the show was greenlit, I was like, they're never going to finish this story. There is no scenario yep. in which they finish this story. 100%. And now I'm thinking maybe they have a really good plan and maybe that's why people are so hyped about this. So I'm optimistic for that, apart from anything else.
2: Note to showrunners, please avoid the bowl of the winds and, if possible, the horn of Valir. Never get the horn <laughs> they of Valeria. the horn
0: of Valier to raise no. the heroes of old. I mean, come on. They really on. don't.
1: They really don't. Should I read the books before watching this? or books, well, if you start now, books. you'll be
2: finished possibly before you die, so you can give that a go. Um it's just but the things okay okay look I, we we're obviously massively off track I can like I can hear I can hear Chris in my head now as he's editing this saying for fuck's <laughs> sake get on with you yeah. but let's not and let's say that you know I just feel like if you're going to start Wheel of Time you know don't like read Brent Weeks Lightbringer series no do Read don't. like Joe Abercrombie's First oh, Law like I read the no. Realm of the Elderlings by Robin Hobb there are so many better series and I just feel you know i have know, so much trouble with short. some of those like
0: I don't love. Many of those. And I'm a fancy nerd and I, I've mm. had real trouble. Maybe I need to give Joe Abercrombie another go. I mean, I'm I with you. I'm
2: with you on the Malazan Book of the Fallen. Like that is an <sighs> exercise in self, you know, mutilation. I, I can't, I can't even, <laughs> but um, yeah. Yeah,
0: the, the the late great Pav of this parish um, made me read Garden of the Moon and I, I struggled through it because I, I admire <laughs> him and I you know yeah. trusted his opinion and...
2: <sighs> I read the first three before throwing in the towel. I
0: can't, I can't even, I can't
2: even. Yeah. I mean, fair play. The man's got an imagination, but still.
0: Anyway, Anyway. let's go on to movie news just for (laughs) chris There was some other movie news though, right? Um Star (laughs) Trek. Sure, why
2: not? Oh Star Trek, yes, yes. We have had some Star Trek news. Uh we in fact do now have a director in the form of one Matt Shackman coming off the back of wandavision He (gasps) is in the captain's chair for a Star Trek film. And frankly I am very much here for this. Uh, Anything Star Trek. I mean, the thing is, we are living in a golden age of Star Trek at the moment because thanks to, uh, you know, all things uh, Paramount Plus, we've got, Mm. you know, series coming out of every possible orifice. Uh, (laughs) You know, we've got Picard, we've got Discovery, we've got the new series coming with the Enterprise, we've got the uh, two animated series coming in. Lower Decks (laughs) is
0: genuinely great. I love it. Eh, is it though? It is Um, really funny.
2: But, (laughs) but, but, you know, other than the cartoons, uh, we've got some great stuff coming out and now the films are coming back because I did fear a little bit that, with the TV sort of rising to ascendance, with all these series coming up, mm-hmm. that they would put the films on the back burner. Like, Tarantino's one that he talked about? That's never going to happen, We're is it? Happen. You know, and after Beyond, like, I felt a little bit like, oh, are we are we now done? But no, this is good, because you, you can't have, you can't have uh,
1: too much Star Trek, Helen. Is this going to reunite the sort of Chris Pine crew, or is it going to be all new, do you think?
0: There is speculation that it might, but that is one of the many, many things that have not been confirmed about this news.
1: <laughs> Indeed. We know so. nothing. <laughs>
2: But it's
0: happening, John and Snow. that is good. Yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah.
1: But I'm glad that um is already sort of seeing his work on One Division pay dividends and mm. more mm. bigger stuff. Because that was great. And absolutely.
0: Yeah, and apparently the current script was written by um, Lindsay Beer from Chaos Walking adaptation, which was a pretty good adaptation of a tough book. So and-
1: here's the thing,
2: Helen. I'm reading Chaos Walking at the moment, or rather The Knife of Never Letting Go, which is the first Chaos Walking yep. book, and it is mm. fucking nothing like the film, and no, I'm not sure that was a good adaptation, <laughs> no, because but- it's basically not the same thing. But
0: it's a very mm. diff- difficult thing to adapt, is what I'm saying. So I think yeah. she did but a good job you can see what that first.
2: meeting was. I said, right, we'd like you to adapt this book. Oh, the book about the talking dog? Yeah, that's the one. What would you like to do with it? We'd like you to do everything except the talking dog. <laughs>
0: I mean, I don't think the talking dog is the main thing to take. Away that, from isn't
2: it. that where Patterson? The whole origin of the story came from. He was like, "What if your dog could talk to you?" Like that was his whole thing. And then they made a film of his book, and they literally cut out the talking dog. And he must have been like, what? "Motherfuckers!"
1: This is the first I'm hearing of a talking dog in K.S. Walking. I want to read this book. It's
0: not. The, it's not the point of the book. Like it Hashtag may have justice been justice for Manchi. It may have been the spark, but it's not the point. The spark you
2: know? that lit the flame that burned the first order to the ground.
0: Anyway, so the script is written. By Chaos Walking's Lindy Beer and Captain Marvel's uh Geneva Robertson Dwaret. So um good people, we like them. Mm-hmm. We've got to keep our fingers crossed for this. And obviously Matt Shackman, we are very impressed with. So yeah, exciting. Uh there was also a weird Korg and Deadpool news. Mm-hmm.
3: Tell yes, us more about that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you know, Vine Reynolds... Is very, very, very good at marketing his movies. And so there's a couple of the sort of skits that he's done for Free Guy, which has been delayed about 300,000 times. And every time it's delayed, he does a sort of a new uh, skit sort of promoting uh, the movie without sort of revealing too much footage because it's more you know, Ryan Reynolds promoting the movie is the whole sort of point of it. So the latest one that he's done with that is to do a Deadpool reaction video uh, starring Korg. Of the latest Free Guy trailer, uh, which is just an inspired idea, and it was very, very funny. As I say, Ryan Reynolds, you know, let Ryan Reynolds market all of the movies. I want to see that. <laughs> yeah, um, the fridging riff was very entertaining. The fridging Riff
0: was,
1: was very was good. Great. Yeah, yeah, it was great. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about Free Guy too. Looks, looks, looks like it could be fun.
0: What does this mean? X Men confirmed? Question mark. I mean, <laughs> you know, MCU hanging out with Deadpool
1: there was a comment i saw i can't remember where i saw it but um that suggested that deadpool should be the new Stanley and just pop up without sort of any explanation I, in I
3: endorse 100%
0: 100%. absolutely here for this yes completely yes make this happen feige if you're listening and i know you are that's what we want now that's got to happen really do. um but yeah it, it it it's a it's a funny little uh, skit um, and of course uh, Taika TT is in Free Guy mm-hmm. as well so there is a, a sort <laughs> yeah. of a vague reason that it would be Korg apart from anyone, el- anyone else but yeah that was good. Uh, what other news uh, do, speaking of trailers we also saw the trailer for Turning Red the new Pixar yes. movie
1: yeah. I haven't actually watched this yet but I do know that Ludwig Galanson uh, will be scoring this movie which makes me all kinds of excited because he, do- he hasn't done a Pixar yet uh, but the guy is so versatile and he's sort of you know uh, he, he scored Venom. He's is called Black Panther, um, Mandalorian. I'm such a big fan, so yeah. I can't really tell what he comes up with for that.
0: Yeah, although this is, of course, scored to larger than life, uh, which I think we can all get behind.
2: This is so. This is written and directed by Domi Shi, uh, who did Bao, the little Pixar short, which is yes. yes. I love that short. It was great. Uh, and I love this idea. So this stars Rosalie Chang, or voice the voice of Rosalie Chang, as uh, Mei Li, who's a 13-year-old, who, when she gets embarrassed which happens right regularly with her mother <laughs> turns into an enormous mutant giant red panda as one does
0: <laughs> well of course um she is i believe the first solo female um director for pixar as well so this is a cool. something of a landmark and about fucking time um <laughs> so yeah it's a really it's a really charming trailer if you haven't watched it yet turning red is online now it's on the empire site you can go and see it there
1: i have to say i'm not sure about you guys but i've had a like a really strong, powerful, emotional reaction to a Pixar film since Coco. Yes, I'm with you 100%. So yeah. I'm, it's So I'm been really a while. Hoping, it has been a long while, so I'm hoping... This has uh, some potential. This- just looking
2: at it, it feels like it might have the right kind of themes. But you're right. Like Coco had me fucking bawling.
1: And I it has a been a puddle. long time. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah. That, that Those final 15 minutes, the, the oh, Remember God. Me score, oh. and, uh, Remember it just me. destroyed me.
0: Goodness me. Absolutely, yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> Devastating stuff. Yeah, so fingers crossed this will get back to that. And also it's good to hear them do a mother-daughter story, which is what Mm. they did very well with Brave, actually, but it is still uh, an underserved corner of cinema vis-a-vis father stories, for example. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm I'm excited to see what they come up with for this.
2: I can't remember if we mentioned this last week, but of course one of the greatest films of the year – the Tomorrow War is getting a <laughs> sequel. It has been greenlit. The stars have aligned. Mm-hmm. The fates have smiled upon this modern masterpiece. Hello. They... <laughs> and I'm 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 very excited to see the uh, the white spikes back in action
1: again. Yeah. This is not a film that needed a sequel. Oh, oh but awful. it is <laughs> on.
0: Surely, it the is. Whole, surely the whole point is that they blew up the thing and then the, the, the No, but see what's
2: gonna happen is it's gonna begin, it's gonna begin on the next Wimbledon Helen. <gasps> and then oh. Djokovic is going to be ahead, and oh. a portal is going to open above the net, and Chris Pratt is going to walk out, and it's all going to kick off again. So Chris give Pratt me, is the one now
0: coming out of the portal, and not the one. Sure, like... why not? <laughs> wow, that's a terrifying thought. Um, I, I mean, look, I guess there's going to be like more ships that they find elsewhere in the world that were buried and it turns out they just got one and there's a bunch more but they still have the bioweapon to use against the freaking thing so i don't understand th- you know what it's fine i'm sure it's, it's gonna, gonna be a great be, sequel
2: they've come back in time and they've stopped the white spikes so now the white spikes will go back even further in time to stop them from stopping <laughs> the white spikes
0: they're, they're not, but they're that's mindless they're mindless like planet clearers are mindless so i mean that's fair
1: i will give it a, a <laughs> a you know a slight point for this okay. in that you know we've been talking sort of in previous weeks about how a lot of media uh, a lot of films right now have sequel bait and leave stuff for sort of you know future stuff yep. down the line uh, in the films and the Tomorrow War at least didn't do that and they got the sequel so I'll, I'll you know I'll give it props for not doing that I guess but again this does not strike me when when that film ended. I was not like, you know, they could make another film out of this. It felt like it was over, done, dusted. One and done. done. Yeah. Everyone happy. Yeah. Go live your life. Um, so, I don't And know.
0: yet not. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of everyone happy, uh there's a Thomas Crown reimagining uh being mm-hmm. planned with Michael B Jordan uh wow. starring. So, uh we this would be the, obviously the third outing for the um, for the, the th- the idea, after the Steve McQueen one and the Pierce Brosnan one. We don't really know what exactly the reimagining will be, but this is uh, this is the plan. So Wes Turk has signed on to write it. Um, the Russos and Agbo are producing. Yeah. Boof. What do we think?
1: I like it for Michael B. Jordan. Uh, I think this will give him uh, some new sort of facets to play and just sort of going off the back of what I've seen from him in moments uh, throughout his career, I'm interested to see sort of a full film of Michael P. Jordan being suave and charming. I think that could be very fun.
0: I think, I mean, presumably he's, now they're not like gender swapping it as far as we know. Presumably he's Thomas Crown. Presumably he's the playboy billionaire type who gets his kicks from stealing priceless works of art, presumably.
1: Yeah, Which that means. is what I have in my head as well. Okay. Um, the, the Pierce and Thomas Cairn affair is so great.
2: So, I watched yes, it the yeah. other day. Features, without doubt, the best stair-shagging scene in cinema. <laughs>
0: that saying. is probably true. Yeah, that is. It's a pretty good one. Uh, and yeah, great, great Renu Russo performance as well. One of, the, one of a, the good answers, if somebody asks about a remake that is better than the original, I would, I would say that that mm-hmm. Thomas Cron mm-hmm. is better than the Steve McQueen Faye Dunaway one, personally. So
1: It also features the best use of Nina Simone's O Cineman in any movie.
0: Oh, that's a really good... Well, I don't know. That's a, I mean, that's a well-used song, but it is really good in that, in that film. It's so good. Love that scene. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. But, oh, I'm going to think about the best cinema scenes <laughs> now. Okay, people will write in and tell us, but um, yeah, <laughs> best cinema scenes and music, uh, movies, there are a lot. Can we talk about money? If
1: it's coming into my account, hell yes. Yes. Specifically <laughs> Black
2: Widow money, I'm thinking sure. at the moment. So yeah. Black Widow actually had a pretty good opening. And I guess this was this was all a bit like, how will it do? You know, because mm-hmm. on the one hand, it's we're still in the throes of a life-altering pandemic. But also, there's the whole day and date, more or less, Disney Plus thing going on. But as it happens, mm-hmm. it did $215 million. So it did 80 million in the States, 78 million overseas, and 60 million via Disney Plus, which is interesting that they've released that figure, I thought. Mm-hmm. But that's Decent, like it's not, you know, knocking out the park amazing, but actually, you know, you know, it's certainly the, the, like the domestic take is in line with stuff like Ant-Man. Yeah. So it's, 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 it, it feels like a recovery. It feels encouraging.
1: It's honestly a lot more than I expected for Black Widow. Um, not just sort of, you know, factoring in the film itself and my level of excitement for it in comparison to other MCU films, but given that we're still coming out of a pandemic, given that it's having this sort of, different release model uh yeah. with the uh, yeah. uh, disney plus prime access and cinema given that sort of uh cinemas to, to the best of my knowledge are still sort of not allowing full capacity um the fact that black Widow is raked in that amount is seriously impressive
0: it really is yeah um yeah i think this is a, this is a good sign um it's always it, it's hard to judge the disney plus numbers just because as with all streaming services they're not consistent about releasing them they don't to yeah. habitually do so so there isn't really a, a comparator for that um but it does sound like it it is making money which is good but this feels like yeah. certainly
2: for disney plus this feels to me and maybe slightly biased but this feels like the first proper tentpole triple a disney plus sort of debut i mean you're sure you've had your cruella's crows and whatnot but i think you know those slightly younger skewing films i think are a slightly different metric because I I always wonder whether those will always do slightly better Mm -hmm. in a home end of the nature of the people they're aimed at like if you've got a house full of kids it makes a certain amount of sense not to have to drag them to cinema stick them in the front room pay once done do you know what I mean whereas something like this which screams big screen and Mm -hmm. is you know a sort of four quadrant all ages type release I feel that's interesting I mean I would never personally choose to watch Black Widow in my living room first like that would not (laughs) be what I would want to do that's not be how I would want to experience that film Mm. but it's interesting that clearly for a lot of people, that is the case.
0: Let's keep it on superheroes for just one more minute because you know how much we love them. Henry Cavill, (laughs) Superman himself, has signed on to star in the Rosie Project, which is kind of baking my noodle a bit. So I I don't know if either of you have read this book. Have you? Probably not. No, No. I didn't think so, to be honest. So it's, it's the story of this professor, he's called Don Tillman, He's a genetics expert, and he is on the Aspergers scale, so he has a little bit of um hesitancy with interpersonal relationships in his case um so he never seems to be able to get on a second date. He's a little bit just you know he he doesn't really have a filter in some circumstances he tends to put women off and he starts what he calls the wife project, putting together a questionnaire to try and find his perfect woman, and he has all these you know criteria that she must meet and um, very, very set expectations of what she will be.
2: I'm and- feeling quite seen at this point, but do carry on.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, you, yeah, it, it did not not remind me of you in, in some respects. Um, but he instead he meets and gets involved with um, a very free-spirited, slightly manic pixie dream girl woman called Rosie, who uh, kind of is trying to help him out with this project, but, you know, basically he ends up maybe slightly falling in love with her. Spoiler: He totally does. Um, so Jennifer Lawrence was a- attached at one point. Ryan Reynolds was uh, was lined up for it. Um, loads of writers and directors have been talked about for this, including Richard Linklater, Ben Taylor, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, Scott Newstead,er Michael H. Weber, Steve F- Steve Falk is now lined up to write and direct. Um, and now Henry Cavill is set to star. I, I just. Even with interpersonal issues, you wouldn't think that Henry Cavill would have a huge amount of problems dating.
2: The man has and I can't <laughs> emphasize this enough, an eight pack. I don't even know how it's possible <laughs> to get an eight pack, but Henry Cavill has one. Also, his dog is an absolute babe magnet. His dog so. is I mean, yeah, his
0: dog is pretty great. Like that is a dog and a half. That is I mean, it looks like it looks like a bear in a really good way. It's just that's a that's a heck of a dog. As if he didn't need, you know, the help to yeah, he's 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 kind he's of fine he's, he's doing he's fine, fine. <laughs> yeah. i just i do I do wonder how much he would really struggle to get a date where that his aim, however, you know suspension of disbelief, et cetera in <laughs> cinema, I guess we're just going to have to do that, so yeah, that's the Rosie project I mean, the book was a massive massive hit um so I guess we have to sort of hope for the best here. And and Steve, Steve Falk to be fair, um he worked on You're the Worst, which was kind of that cult TV show.
2: Yeah, I I like that actually. That was a lot of yeah. fun. Yeah.
0: So, you know, he's um he's he's not a bad shot for this potentially. I think that could work quite well. So, fingers crossed. Everyday's Christmas Eve and um it's <laughs> odd casting, but I'm I'm intrigued to see what they come up with.
2: I have a piece of news. What's the news? The news I was going to talk about Helen is that for all our listeners, there is the opportunity for live James Splaining in the imminent future. <laughs> yes, Isn't that I here, was Helen? about
0: to say that. Yes, we are doing another live show. Nature is healing, people. <laughs> <laughs> Nature is healing because we're back doing a live show. This is technically the live show we were going to do for our 450th episode way back in, I don't know, the Dark Ages sometime, yeah, February, I think. Um, before the Dark and Times. Instead, we're, we're doing it now. So this is our 400 and like. 71st 450th show. Yeah. Um and it will be on at the King's Place our spiritual home on the 28th of this month. Tickets are on sale now if you go to kingsplace.co.uk you can find them. Obviously audience numbers will be limited because of safety. Uh, there will be social distancing, but we will be in the same room. Like people <laughs> who go It's going to be
2: awesome.
0: Oh, so exciting.
2: So much fun. So much fun. I've missed these Immeasurably.
0: Yeah, it will be good. So yeah, obviously, as I say, COVID restrictions will be in place, but there are tickets, and we will be in a place with people, which is extremely this, exciting. This program. Helen,
2: this will be. Am I right in saying the first live three fact structure?
3: Did we oh, do it at the last live one? I don't think we did. No, so we I, did think I think this will we be did, the didn't first. We? Did no, we? Cause,
0: yeah, because there was. I, I I had one that involved swearing about. Oh. Um, Fine, no then man.
2: it won't be. So scratch that. Yeah, sorry.
0: Roy, around uh, uh, the world in 80 days. Rex Harrison. Yeah, I was swearing about him. Anyway. Okay.
2: Fine. Never mind.
0: Yeah, so if you'd like to come and join us, just go to kingsplace.co.uk, look up July 28th, and there we are. Yes. I take it. Come along. Ooh. Exciting people. <laughs> oh, I'm still in quarantine. I'm so bored. I'm so excited about <laughs> seeing people, even these people. Ah, amazing. <laughs> Okay, so with that exciting news out of the way, time now for another guest. Uh, We are delighted to be joined this week. We've already talked about the Tomorrow War. And of course, it wasn't just Chris Pratt, was it? Fighting aliens. No. Hiding right next to him was Sam Richardson, who also (laughs) has another film coming up a really, I mean, spoiler, fantastic horror comedy called Werewolves Within. He's also got uh, I Think You Should Leave coming up. You, of course, know him from Veep, where he is one of the slightly less obnoxious characters by the standards of the show, which is still, you know, pretty obnoxious, but he's a delight in real life. And uh, he came along to talk to us about all of his recent film work and um, sat down with our Chris for a good old natter. Here it is. Please enjoy.
4: We're delighted to be joined on The Emperor Podcast by the star of Werewolves Within, Mr. Sam Richardson. How are you, sir?
6: I'm great, thank you. How are you?
4: I'm not too bad, not too bad at all. Uh, Whereabouts in the world are you at the moment?
6: Uh, Currently, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, filming a, a movie called senior year for netflix
4: very good very good how's it going
6: it's going well it's a fun movie uh, uh you know my uh, it's comedy so i love to do comedy so yep. I'm, I'm doing that right now <laughs> uh, it's good
4: <laughs> excellent excellent and how's atlanta treating you have you got a chance to get out what, what's the restrictions like over there at the moment
6: Uh, Atlanta is, is pretty open. I I don't know if they ever like really close to be perfectly honest, (laughs) but, uh, you know, (laughs) uh, it's in full swing out here. Uh, so I'm being cautiously, uh, free, if that makes sense. (laughs) What
4: what does that, what does that mean? It
6: means I wear a mask always, uh, (laughs) and, uh, try not to go to like large area. I try and eat outside if I'm eating out. And I wear a mask everywhere. Okay, (laughs) most people are not doing that.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Most people like the purge. Otherwise, for most people,
6: (laughs) yeah, exactly. People are just (laughs) eating animals in the streets.
4: (laughs) Listeners to the podcast may feel that this is an old hat question because I ask it of everybody who has either been to Atlanta or is in Atlanta. But I've only been to Atlanta a couple of times, and this is all I know about the place. It has the World of Coca Cola Museum. Have you been there?
6: True. I, I have not been to the World of Coca-Cola Museum. I've been to the uh, aquarium across the, the the promenade from it. So I've been in the area, okay. but not to the museum itself. Is it, it on your list of things to do? 100%. Maybe to the top, actually.
4: I'm going to spoil it slightly for you here, Sam. Uh, when you go to the World of Coca-Cola, you go inside the fault because they, you know, they... They, they come so close to telling you what the secret ingredient is of Coca-Cola without actually <laughs> saying what it is. And you may, you may think to yourself, oh, that voice sounds familiar. The voice of the fault sounds familiar. It's Donald Sutherland. Now, that was, uh, that's a classy joint.
6: I'll say any, anything that is voiced by Donald, Donald Sutherland is automatically kicked up five class points. and Five <laughs> is significant. It make, five class points sounds like nothing. But you got to remember that the class scale is from one to fifteen, and so five is a thirty-three percent. Uh, it's thirty-three percent of the full, right?
4: Yes, yes.
6: So all right,
4: yeah. So you good. add Sutherland to anything, classes are joined up immediately. Immediately. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's on your to-do list. Uh, but first, let's talk about let's talk about where wolves the sitting because I thought this film was hilarious. Thank you so much. You are obviously a very very busy man. Do you yes. need me to prompt your memory about what it is, or yeah, are you okay? Which one is this?
6: This is the one, this is the one with the werewolves dogs? who are within. Yes. Oh, <laughs> werewolves who are within. Okay, yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yes. Dogs Inside. It's a sequel to that.
6: <laughs> dogs um, to dogs, <laughs> dogs <yeah>. Indoors. I, <laughs>
4: I'd love to see that. Uh, and there is an amazing <laughs> moment, not to give too much away in this movie, but there is an amazing moment where you try so hard. Uh, and Josh, the director, tries so hard to crowbar the name of the video game into a, into a line of dialogue.
6: <laughs> yes, that titular line.
4: Yes, uh, you come <laughs> so close. I'm not going to say what the, exactly the line is, uh, but uh, that seemed like a, a lot of fun to be to to do.
6: Yeah, it's like one of those like an uh, interscene challenges. You know, when you're like doing a a scene, like sometimes you set up like little goalposts for yourself. You're like, all right, well, I'm going to see if I can get this line of dialogue in here. And I try and do it as clean as I can and have it sound like natural, but like still also wink at it a little bit. And it's like maybe the biggest wink that I, I give in the movie and like the biggest wink, like, I, like one of the bigger winks of the movie is like yeah. landing the line in there. And I, yeah. I did it as cleanly as I could. You did it beautifully. Beautiful oh, job. Thank you. Thank you you know who,
4: you could, who could not have done a better job? Donald Sutherland. Yeah, he, he he would have classed it up. but He would have got the wink all wrong and it would have just, it, you know, stuff yeah. would have fallen down behind him. People would have been killed. It just, it would have gone very, very badly. But, yeah,
6: exactly. And, yes, I, and yeah. Like, uh, I, I would have somehow felt responsible even for his...
4: Somehow you would have felt responsible for the deaths that he caused.
6: Yeah. You know, and I just, I guess I, I'm an empath, so... <laughs>
4: It helps it helps to be <laughs> empathetic when you are uh, an actor but uh, yeah. but the film the film is tons of fun and you you're absolutely right the film is a uh, is a giant wink uh, of a movie but your character Finn is not that he I, what I loved about him is he's so beautifully sincere and and nice
6: yeah uh, I feel like like you know, and also that allows him to be the sort of like frame of reference or like springboard for all the other characters who are kind of a a little bit more broad, uh, like bigger and more uh, sensational uh, and like, you know, like crazier Mm is to put it, to put it more bluntly. Uh, So like without that, without him being a sort of steady arrow, you know, then then it then it gets into then then it, you know you don't know where to look. But like Finn being like this nice like sort of like grounded character allows him to be like the the eyes and ears for the audience. Also, mm. uh, and that's a, an interesting sort of energy to play.
4: Uh, it's it's true. Obviously, you played nice guys before. I'm I'm sensing <laughs> from our our six minutes together here in Squadcast that you are in real life a nice guy and not in any way a serial killer. Um, oh, so exactly, that's well, how they get you. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that the interrogation technique from the police, so uh, oh, yeah. goes, oh, you, you did not in any way kill those people. And you go, I oh, know I did, actually. And then that's how you get them. get Boom. Um, <laughs> that's, that's it. There you go. So, drop the mic in that case. Uh, but, but you know, you do seem, but, but nice is such a difficult thing to play well and to make it interesting and, and watchable. Uh, is there a Sam Richardson technique to making niceness palatable?
6: Uh yeah, I, I don't know if there's a technique. I, th- I sort of, I, th- I sort of think there's like a, a technique to uh, just like living to be nice, and, and I, I guess that it, that also is uh, an acting thing. Is like listening and responding is like all that acting is, and that's all that improv is. It's just like absorbing and then feeding information to uh, based on what you've absorbed. And so if you're playing somebody nice. It all filters in, so you're you're always just hoping for the best and assuming the best out of what's coming, of what's what what you're interpreting. So, like right. as a character who's like nice, even if he's like hearing vitriol, he's trying to analyze that. Like like for for another nice character I played, like I played Richard Splett on Veep, mm-hmm. and with him, the the, <laughs> the filters of. <laughs> Of uh, of uh nastiness that he had ingrained in himself yeah so like you have the most vitriolic characters sh- shouting obscenities at each other and like it would make its way through the filters and he's like well there must be a reason or like oh what beautiful language or alliteration you've used there so he like sort of <laughs> it, nothing really uh, got to him or affected him and or very rarely because yeah. You know, it would filter through so many layers of of niceness or uh, understanding or sort of trying to to like uh, em- an empathy <laughs> and yeah. by the time it got to him. He's like, oh, yeah, this is the information I think they're trying to get out <laughs> uh, <laughs> with Finn in this movie. There's not as many layers. So it's really just him. His niceness is also kind of his weakness at first. Mm-hmm. Where, like, he, you know, he, he's, he's thrust into this sort of uh, position of authority, and usually, people who are in positions of authority, like police and like, or those sort of things, are people who seek power and seek control over others. You know, mm-hmm. whether it's for, you know, whether it's like altruistic or not, whether it's like I want to control people because I know what's best for them, or I want to control people because I, my ideas are the best, whatever that is. I think Finn is not that kind of person. He's a a forest ranger, so he just wants to do good for nature, (laughs) you know? Uh, And then he's thrust in this, like, police. He's he's thrust in as a sheriff, and he's not a sheriff, you -hmm. know? So his niceness in this regard doesn't normally apply to, like, managing people. But he does make that work because it's through empathy. Uh, So I thought that was, like, a really interesting sort of... uh, (laughs) Yeah character and like dynamic and like sort of situation that he's in that's my formula
4: well that's the formula you've given it away now like coca-cola with their secret formula (laughs) crap don't kill people that's the message of this movie be nice instead and yeah
6: be nice instead of killing people (laughs) yeah i think that's an uncontroversial message i only wish i would heard
4: this message (laughs) 10 years earlier
6: i know and that's his admission, folks. We got him. We got <laughs> Damn him. Damn it! Damn it!
4: <laughs> oh, well, we could we could do another ten minutes before they cart me away in handcuffs. Is <laughs> you know, totally fine.
6: I call it good cop, good cop. <laughs> <laughs> How
4: did this movie come your way, Sam? Are you a big werewolf fan?
6: I, I actually am a big werewolf fan. I'm a, I'm a I'm a genre fan. I like you know horror movies. I like. Uh, Sort of mysteries like spy movies, superhero action movies. I love I love that sort of thing, and I've always been like excited to to be a part of something like that. Um, so then they sent me the script. Uh, Vanishing Angle and Ubisoft sent me the script for this movie, and they told me Josh uh, Rubin was going to be directing it. And I read it, and I was like, Oh, this is really interesting and really fun, and a sort of like. An energy that I've played before, but not like this, and like also excited to like play like a leading character where like this is sort of the uh, the 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 tracks that the train runs on, mm-hmm. uh, or the with the train that all the all the the caboose of the train that everybody sits in. I'm just going to keep on using that <laughs> analogy until it's the train rolls off the cliff. Uh, Works for me. Works for but me. They, but I love the script, and then I I met with Josh over Zoom uh or on the, on a phone call actually. And I just loved what he how he described how he saw the the script uh and how he saw the story. And I was on board. And and I, I we and we just it seemed like we were old. It's our my first time meeting, but we seemed like old friends and I really like appreciated. It. And I saw his movie scare me and I loved it. So I was excited to see what he would do next. And this is sort of in that same Genre, but on a bigger scale, oh, they had me on board
4: <laughs> and I, I mentioned at the beginning that you're a, a very, very busy guy. I mean, right now you have this is out in the states already, It's just about to come out over here in the u k uh, and you also have the tomorrow war you're you're in season two of I think you should leave. <laughs> um mm-hmm. is my understanding obviously these have all come out at the same time my understanding is that actors don't tend to shoot these on the same day was that the was that the case with you
6: well for me we shot tried all at once actually and so it was sort of like a a, a puzzle where it didn't make sense that i would say one line from each thing in a row and it made no sense <laughs> to anybody who was there but then they would lift it and then use one word for this project and another word for another one and then like a a sort of collage it all made sense <laughs> is this the case
4: for all the stuff you've done so like yeah. you know
6: i shoot all my stuff in maybe three afternoons and then it like kind of lasts me for a couple of years
4: uh, on a green screen so on you, a green so you, screen exactly. on a green screen okay in your in your garage or where do you oh, just no, it's
6: a bedroom a small bedroom small bedroom okay mm-hmm. that way and then you know they just, sound, i can i can filter the sound out because you you try it in the in the uh, as i call it a garage but in the garage,
4: yeah, we invented the pronunciation. sound. No, I, I, mean, I don't want to. I know. know
6: it make and it makes more sense, truly. Because <laughs> like, why all of a sudden are we French when we say when we describe this car house?
4: Yeah, so that's a very, very good point. So, so I, I,
6: I agree with you guys entirely. Oh, thank
4: you, thank you for that. So, <laughs> so you, you avoid the garage slash garage, and you you shoot in your bedroom, or as we say over here, bedroom and, yeah, bedroom. Yeah, yeah,
6: yeah. Boudoir, as I say, in <laughs> yeah, French. Boudoir.
4: <laughs> it's Taking a very French turn, but uh, oui.
6: yeah, but 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 there is there is a
4: I I think I'm making a serious point here a little bit, yeah, which absolutely. is that you're obviously a very very busy guy. You're in much you're much demand at the moment, which is which is tremendous. Um,
6: yeah. I mean, the the thing is, like, some of some of these things have been shot over the course of a long time. It just happens to be all happening, at, all, all coming out at once. You Don't know? ruin
4: the magic, Sam. Don't Sorry ruin the about
6: magic. Uh, uh, it's all shot live again. <laughs> as I say. So you watch me in Tomorrow War. I am actually running from these aliens in time, and then there's like a time jump that happens, uh, <laughs> and then I had to wait for it.
4: Okay. Good. 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 But uh, but otherwise, so the Tomorrow War was presumably shot quite a while ago and werewolves we within is something
6: before the pandemic and we wrapped yeah. it before the pandemic. And actually it was funny, it's like so we we shot that movie maybe over the course of four months or so, maybe four or five months. And we wrapped it in January. And then I shot uh Werewolves Within in February. So I did shoot those back to back. But oh uh, but we're assuming that Tomorrow War was going to come out Christmas of last year, but then the pandemic Kind of change the plans it was going to come on theaters but it went to amazon and it's got like a great uh home there and a great response there but you know certainly things I, you can never predict fully how these projects are going to go and certainly above my pay grade right? i'm just like i filmed it as finished please come out <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's that, That's the technique. Uh, and uh, but also, you've you've had uh, you know you and Tim Robinson go back uh, a long, long way. And the second season of I think you should leave is out right now. And have you been watching Twitter, kind of yes. get excited and <laughs> and meme itself into a frenzy once again? What's it? What's it like watching that from the inside?
6: Uh, It's been incredible. Like, I mean, my Twitter and my Instagram is already full of. I think you should leave. uh, Things (laughs) people are being like ravenously. (laughs) <laughs> excited for, uh, about the last season and uh, er, rapturously excited for this new one. <laughs> but it's like really cool to watch people like onto these moments. They're like, oh yeah, <laughs> those are like ideas that Tim's had for a long time or the little bits that we've done for a long time. Uh, it's so funny because I'm doing this movie Tomorrow War uh, about fighting a war in the future, like, you know, getting people to fight a war in the future against this thing. And then the last season of Yeah. Uh, I think you should leave. You know, I'm the ghost of Christmas way future. And I mean, you better believe my comments and my Twitter and my is full of Skeletrics. Like everyone thinks you're the first one to come up with it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's, I I appreciate that everybody sees those things and appreciates Mm. my work.
4: (laughs) But here's the thing. Uh, At some point, someone was the first person to come up with that. So, yes, yeah, it's very
6: true. It's yeah. very true.
4: So, when that happened, did you genuinely laugh at that and go, "That is good"?
6: I, I mean, here's the thing: I, I, when I was filming the movie, I was like, "Uh oh, <laughs> Somebody, <laughs> somebody's going to bring this up."
4: <laughs> <laughs> and the bad guy is called Bart Harley Jarvis. Bart like, Harley Jarvis. <laughs>
6: <laughs> oh crap! What are the
4: odds that dude's following me around? Uh,
6: Somebody has like a a timeline, like a sort of a theory for mm-hmm. how the whole thing works, and like Bart Harley. I think in that theory, I, I, like it connects all the the pieces for the first season. So like Bart Harley Jarvis causes like the the bo- become Skeletrex and like the bones are their money because like he's been taken <laughs> over. So like the it's like a whole thing, and I was like, wow, that's actually really brilliant. <laughs> <laughs>
4: That is amazing. We're all trying to find the guy who did this. And it turned out to be be Bart Harley Jarvis. God damn it. You know? Mm. (laughs) Well, on that note, good idea, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. But you have to promise me you are going to go on your next day off to the world of Coca Cola. You have to promise me that. I
6: promise. I'm going to record Donald Sullivan's voice as my uh, voicemail.
4: Good. Make sure that you do. Unless, of course, they've replaced him, which, you know, quite frankly, is entirely possible.
6: Yeah, could be. We'll see. We'll see.
4: We shall see. It's exciting. It's exciting times ahead. (laughs) Sam Richardson. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you.
0: Okay, time now for some movie reviews, and we're going to start with the long-awaited, at least by Amon, sequel (laughs) to 1996's seminal basketball tune movie, Space Jam. Uh, We are, of course, talking Space Jam colon a new legacy, and we are joined for one review only (laughs) by a very special guest. Just because we didn't have everybody who'd seen it because i'm not allowed out of the house so i couldn't go and see it uh, but john nugent has joined us to talk space jam hello, hello
7: hello yes i have how are you feeling uh i'm feeling good in general i'm feeling slightly less good about the film i'm about to talk about but we can no, no, no spoilers but uh but uh <laughs> yeah well let's let's talk are about you, it are you we?
0: saying it isn't a uh a three-pointer Look, I don't have a lot of basketball lingo. It's, I don't know. That uh, is correct, Helen. Was that well correct? Done.
7: Okay. <laughs> it's, it's it's more dribbly than uh, three pointer. Is that is that a correct right, use? Is of? that
0: a, is that a, is that a thing? Okay, this, sure.
7: This is getting painful now.
0: <laughs> As somebody who is a big
1: <laughs> NBA fan and watches it every day, this <laughs> it's a handball.
7: Is, yeah. is that is that no, the right that's sport? That's not basketball. No. Oh my god. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's
7: on
0: the line. Lo- uh, yeah, it's um, a let call. No, okay. No. So, John tell us more.
7: Tell us more. Well, look. So, I what I I everything. What I don't know about basketball, I know lots about Space Jam. Uh, for the if you're not familiar with the original 1996 film, it of course brought together the worlds of basketball and Looney Tunes together at last. Um, <laughs> it was it's a very strange film that film. But uh, mm. if you're if you're of a certain generation, which I am, then. It does have a special place in the hearts of many. I think it's a it's a very odd but sort of weirdly beloved film for a lot of people. It's just very surreal and funny, uh, and uh, there's just something about it that's that's kind of weirdly great. Um, and so this is this new film, 25 years later, is trying to sort of recapture some of that spirit, trading on a bit of nostalgia, and. Where the first film had Michael Jordan, who's obviously you know MVP of all time in basketball it's for many. All time. Thank you, Ammon. Uh, <laughs> then uh, LeBron James is, I guess, the next best thing. His sort of you know the heir apparent to to that throne, and so LeBron James is is the new basketball player in this film, um, and. It sort of follows vaguely similar idea, at least in the sense that it is a basketball player who has to team up with the Looney Tunes for reasons uh, <laughs> and play a basketball game. Um, so the concept of this one is LeBron James Is playing himself, LeBron James, or a version of himself. And he is a bit of a hard taskmaster when it comes to basketball. He forces his sons to take basketball very seriously, but (laughs) uh, his youngest son wants to uh, make video games. And then they go to Warner Brothers. They're pitched to um, Warner Brothers, want LeBron James to basically be in all of his films. There's some weird sort of like AI algorithm generated idea that turns uh, lebron james into a cartoon character the studio execs want him to be in all of their films basically lebron james says no but then he's sucked into the servers <gasps> at warner brothers the server verse as it's called what? uh and that's where he meets bugs bunny and uh he also meets algae rhythm which is uh, a clever play on words of algorithm Let's see what they did there.
0: Oh, yeah. okay. As in deploy the, okay. Deploy yeah.
7: the Algae Rhythm, played by Don Cheadle, who wears lots of sparkly suits and does sort of evil cackling and stuff.
0: Emmy-nominated. Uh, there you go. <laughs>
7: yeah. Somehow, yeah. emmy somehow. for those 10 seconds.
1: Goodness me.
7: <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah. so through various contrived reasons, Algae uh, Rhythm forces LeBron James to play a big, wacky game of basketball against his son and the looney tunes and also for again reasons slightly unclear every character who's ever appeared in any warner brothers film ever made ever and i mean like almost all of them we're talking (laughs) films that really have nothing to do with looney tunes or any have any place in a supposedly family-friendly film i'm talking about things like a, the clock, A Clockwork Orange, and Austin what? Powers, Ooh. and Mad Max: Fury Road, and all of these very strange. I mean, it, it's it's very strange. So yes, I I went into this film really wanting to enjoy it, and uh, I came out of it really not enjoying it. Um, it's it's got its moments. There's there's a couple of points that are quite fun and funny. The Looney Tunes stuff is by far the best stuff. Um, which is notable because there isn't any Looney Tunes for the first half an hour. Like it's it's literally all live action until half an hour in. But yeah, it it, it really didn't work for me. There, mm-hmm. it, it feels like a rehash of uh, Ready Player One, but but bad. If you remember, Ready Player One just chucks together all of the Warner Brothers properties into one place, um, mm-hmm. and that sort of made sense because that's a big pop culture sort of you know, homage, tributes, um, fanboyism. This just feels like an advert. This just feels like some Warner Brothers executives have thought, "Let's, we've got all of this intellectual property, let's chuck it all into one movie alongside the Looney Tunes, clearly thinking that the Looney Tunes aren't strong enough as a franchise to hold a whole movie by themselves.
0: That seems incorrect.
7: Which is absolutely incorrect. I think if you get Looney Tunes right, they can be just brilliant and hilarious and weird. But... Instead you've just got this mishmash of all sorts of everything. And it doesn't hang together as a film. It just seems I don't know. Feels like sort of filmmaking by committee. It's it it was very sort of jarring.
0: Amon, you're you're nodding he- along there, and I know you were really, really excited about this one. are you yeah. are you of a similar mind or are you?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's a bit of a shame. Like there there are some fun moments here and there. There's a very Obvious joke uh, late on, but it works. And it was nice to be watching this film in the cinema just to see, just to hear everyone laughing in unison at a thing again. It's been yes. a long time since I've heard that, and that was fun. Um, yes, yeah, so I was at the
7: same uh, screening I'm on, and I think yeah. that was the only like yeah. <laughs> audible big laugh. I know which one you're to- joke you're talking about, and it is really yeah. good. To, like, it's a cameo yeah. joke, but um I didn't hear much yeah. laughter. Outside of that joke,
1: to be honest <laughs> no yeah as uh john mentions the the animation is is really really good, and there's a lot of clever, clever switching between two d and three d um the soundtrack is also good um not not as good as the all time iconic soundtrack of the ninety six <laughs> film um, but it's still <laughs> save for maybe one track, which we no longer speak of um but uh <laughs> but yeah as as john mentioned that there's doing a corporate. IP drop in a fun, smart, entertaining way. And then there's just doing it for the sake of doing it. Mm. And Space Jam 2 is the latter. It's just in there because it can be in there. And that's a shame. Like you, you, at least, you know, if you're going to do something like that, be creative, make it make sense for the story, make it make sense for character. There's none of that. Um, so that's a shame. You also know what the big message of the film and what the big lessons of the film are going to be three minutes into the movie. So you know, it's you, I, I wasn't like fully expecting to get fully swept up in a space jam movie, but you just when when it's so clear and obvious like that, you're just waiting for the gears to fall into place, rather than sort of you know being sort of you know, distracted and you know actually sort of you know being swept up in anything going on on screen. Mm. And as much as I'm a big admirer of LeBron James, I think he's uh, an incredible athlete and just an incredible person in many ways. This film contrives to have ways of complimenting LeBron all the way through the movie. And it just took me out of it. Like, you know, if you were to take a shot every time LeBron got a compliment in this movie, you'd be passed out (laughs) long before the final game. It's insane. It's insane. So. It was just too obvious and too cheesy for me to leave much of an impact. Mm.
0: And like, does he really need more compliments? Like, you know, you know he seems like he's <laughs> he's okay. You know, it's, it's like you know, you know, he
1: gets like in, in the original Space Jam, one of the, the most iconic scenes in the movie, the opening sort of uh, uh, credits, the montage, which has a track by Quad City DJs. Um, Space Jam, you know, they they play that over a montage of Michael Jordan in his career, and LeBron gets a similar mm. thing. Uh, in this movie and you know you get I mean he has a career he's had a career that warrants that sort of treatment but again Mm. all the way through from the characters in the movie from the commentators who join uh late on in the final game just all the way through LeBron is this LeBron's like we get it we're watching the whole film starring LeBron James you don't need to tell me he's great every five seconds and it took me out of the movie a little bit
0: so this is a five-star masterpiece then is that yes that's what we're saying uh, how many stars do we give (laughs) it
7: We well, I wrote the review and I gave it uh, two stars. Two um, stars,
0: then it's a shame. It, that's yes. not a three-pointer. <laughs> not a recommendation. I know things. I was um, I was <laughs>
7: dribbling by the end of it, uh, <laughs> out of out of boredom and just uh, yes, disgust.
0: Well, I'm um, sorry, bad news then for fans of Bug, Bugs Bunny and the gang, um, but two stars then for Space Jam, a new legacy. John, thank you so much for joining us. We will now release you back to your enormous pile of work. What <laughs> fun for you. Thanks.
1: Thanks very much. Uh,
0: <laughs> bye. 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 Okay. So that was, you know, a, a, a fiery disaster. Uh, speaking of fiery disasters, let's talk about the Forever Purge, the latest in the Purge series which dares to ask the question, if you will, what if the killing didn't stop when the sirens sound in the morning? James, tell me more.
2: Yeah, so this series, which seems to be going on for 100,000 years, (laughs) but has actually only been around since 2013, we are now five films... And is it, I think, two seasons of a TV series into mm-hmm. this? Like, there's been a lot of purging. And dare I say it at this point, too much. <laughs> um, so The Forever Purge, as you have alluded to, does take the concept that what happens if the annual purge, where all crime, including murder, is legal for the night, doesn't stop when the sun comes up. So uh, this film begins, I should probably mention, this is this is uh, directed by Everardo Gout. Uh, it's also, it's written by James DeMonaco, again, who wrote all the others. And this sort of takes place in texas where you see kind of a rancher family the tuckers which is kind of like led by will Patton. you've got josh lucas in there Cassie freeman and levin rambin uh, and they have a number of uh cowboy hands on their ranch uh from mexico and there's some racial tension between them at the beginning and that's mm-hmm. tenac huerto essentially leads uh, and his wife anadela reguera uh works nearby they all hunker down for the purge The shutters lift in the morning, the sirens go, the purge is finished, except a load of big old racists in America have decided that they don't want the purge to end. They want the purge to go on and they want to kill all immigrants and people of color because that's the American way. And if you're seeing an incredibly heavy-handed metaphor here, (laughs) then you are absolutely right.
1: Racist in America? Say it ain't <laughs> so!
2: Indeed. Uh, I mean, if this started quite low-key, which it did with the first Purge, um, the Ethan Hawke one, you know, it's got increasingly political as it's gone along, and then the analogies have got increasingly ham-fisted as well as they've gone along, and this is the least subtle yet, I would say. Uh, obviously, the last one we had, the first Purge, was a prequel. We are now back into full-on contemporary Purge territory, and essentially, this is the tuckers and their uh you know and their their ranch hands their mexican ranch hands are trying to survive in this kind of post purge apocalypse where people in crazy masks are running around killing each other all the time with no end in sight the whole of america consumed by violence and flames it's the end of everything Uh, and that is essentially this but it's just everything we've seen before like it's just people in masks killing people in brutal ways casually in the streets and yes it happens in daylight and yes it happens kind of on an ongoing basis and there's a little bit of a a time sensitivity because they're trying to make it to the border to get out of america because america is fucked But it's not particularly well done. The action here, I think, feels a little bit worn. It relies very heavily on jump scares, and most of them don't work. And then, you know, it feels like they knew this was running out of steam. And halfway through, they try and add a kind of more personal element to it to kind of keep it going to limp over the finish line. But it doesn't really do much to engage you. It's very hard to care for a lot of this film. I certainly wasn't particularly invested in what happened. In fact, if I'm perfectly honest with you, the most interesting thing about this film, and indeed this whole saga, is that The Purge, did you know this, is based on Star Trek. (laughs) you know know this this is an actual fact this is an actual fact The Purge is inspired by an episode of Star Trek uh, called The Return of the Archons where the Enterprise goes to a planet where everyone is peaceful but they have this thing called The Festival which is basically The Purge and that's what kicked off this whole idea Uh, and it's the hot fact for you Helen that is the first mention of the Prime Directive in the whole of Star Trek
0: Oh, so, there you go. Wow. wow, good knowledge. There's
2: a fact for you.
0: Well, I like this more than you. I actually thought that the um, the premise made a certain amount of horrible, horrific sense. Like, I, I think the, the Purge films have been getting a bit more political as they've gone along, and this felt more political again than, than we've already seen, so... So I kind of thought the premise was pretty good. I do think the characters are very lightly sketched. Um, I think Ana de la Reguera, as isn't it Adela, has probably the most character development and um, is is very sympathetic. Josh Lucas's character a little bit less so. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's not a huge amount there to to kind of seize onto. But I I didn't hate the premise. I thought it was quite well done. And yeah, okay, it's not the most inventive, but I thought it worked. Those moments of complete social breakdown I actually find quite effective. Like I just watched four seasons of The Strain, so I'm like super here for that <laughs> kind of nonsense. I just
2: feel a little bit like it just looks like the news at this point, doesn't it? Well, like, this mm-hmm. is the
0: this is the thing. That is, you know, that's what's kind of effective about it. And the idea that there are paramilitary groups in the US who would be conspiring against sections of the population behind the scenes to commit violence that's 100% believable to me that it wasn't that far fetched especially in the world that they've already established for the purge so that kind of side of things i find pretty effective horror actually but yeah i mean it's it's the jump scares i thought were ridiculous like not well done at all
2: it is, it is a blunt tool. This was also supposed to be the last purge for quite a long time. And then mm. they, they have since turned that around and they've said that there will, in fact, be another purge.
0: Yeah, you can kind of yeah. see that they've left a bit of room in the, in the final moments of the film to, to, to go back in and experiment again. Yeah. But it was... Yeah, it's
2: a global purge, I think, is going to be the next one. That's oh, the only no. place I can go. It's go big or go home. So now the mm. whole world is purging.
0: This purging doesn't sound healthy.
1: If the Enterprise doesn't turn up, I just don't want to know. <laughs> I, I didn't hate this. I had an okay time with it. My big issue with it is this in that it, you know, wants to be political. It's having all these sort of real world relevant things in the movie. And then when it all's, when, when when it's all said and done, the movie then sort of, you know, takes a step back and ends up being sort of very centrist and like, you know, let's all try and get along. And it feels like that feels incongruous to what the film has been doing previous to that, which is like, look at all, look at everything that's going on, look at what's happening. So I wish it would have taken that path that, which it which it had started out on to the next degree and followed through on it. And really sort of, you know, set something substantial in that way um, rather, than, rather than pull itself back into very sort of centrist politics, if that makes any sense.
0: Well, oh, okay, so um, it wasn't entirely successful, I think it's fair to say for any of us, but um, I at least was vaguely entertained, um, but we gave it two stars overall, two stars, which is not a recommendation, not a great start to the reviews this week. <laughs> Maybe things will get better with Fear Street 3, Legs like and make a horror sandwich with two horror <laughs> movies piled in the middle and some <laughs> you know squishier so far, stuff in them. Well, that's true. And some <laughs> squishier stuff around them. Um, so uh, Fear Street 3, colon 1666.
2: Indeed, so this is the third part of Lee Janiak's horror sort of trilogy, or it's really just a single thing. I see. I think this is a really interesting experiment, and also I think it's been at this point a resounding success yep. to kind of merge the sort of film and TV formats, to have a sort of three-installment continuous story that is, you know, yeah, could you watch it in isolation to an extent? But really, you do kind of need to watch all of these three as a unit. And it's worked really well. I think, you know, anyone who listened to last week's podcast will know we thought the first one was brilliant, a kind of 90s scream pastiche, loads and loads of fun. Second one was maybe a little, I don't, I don't want to say humorless, but it was certainly darker mm. and a little less fun. The 70s. I could the second one. Oh, did really? you? Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I mean, I liked it. I thought it was good. I liked the whole sort of like you know Camp Crystal Lake vibe. I enjoyed the Friday the Thirteenth stuff, but I think it lost some of its fun for me. Like, and also I think the like it was a bit repetitive in the in the kills because it's just axe man, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, what I liked about this is it mixed it up again. So if you had Scream and then you had Friday the Thirteenth, this is essentially the Crucible. So we go back to the seventeenth century and it is a proper old witch hunt as we find out the actual story of the witch Seraphia and how that all came about. And what kind of makes this fun stroke, Hammy, depending on your point of view, is that it utilizes the cast from the first two films, all playing, to a certain extent, younger generational iterations of themselves. Ancestors, so, if you will. Yes, I knew that was a word for it, Helen. That's right. <laughs> younger generational iterations. Yes, that's the given term for it. Um Playing the younger generational iterations (laughs) are Keanu Madeira, of course, who played Dina in the 90s, who leads this and is still excellent in this. Uh, You've got everyone else in there from um, Sadie Sink is back as young Constance Berman instead of Ziggy, so a a younger generational iteration of Ziggy Berman. And uh, Olivia Scott-Welch, who played Sam uh, and now plays Hannah Miller in this. So um, you get to see the story from Seraphia's point of view. And actually, it's really interesting. It's not fun in that way and they're all unless you count the slightly ropey Irish accents they're all putting on but it is <laughs> yeah. really gripping the only criticism I was is I found this very very dark and I don't mean totally I mean physically dark to the point where I almost couldn't see what was going on in places that bothered me a little bit but other than that I really like this and then of course as you would expect so this is the closing installment of this saga it loops back to the 90s and we get the resolution to the tale of uh, to the tale as a whole which brings back some of that fun some of that references There's a really great CK1 gag in there really uh, which appealed CK1 to me gag, enormously yeah. That um, amazing. But I thought this was really good and I thought each of these films feels distinct, has its own palette, has its own flavour to it, but they all tie together perfectly and they tell this larger story and it doesn't go where you think it will go either and it's so much fun and genuinely, I'm really, really pleased that A, they made these and B, we reviewed them and I got to watch them um, because I've not had this much fun with some horror films in a while and maybe it's because I always gravitate more towards long-form storytelling, which is why tv so much but having this ongoing saga that played out over these three films i thought was fantastic and i think that you know the dropping them you know weeks apart mm-hmm. worked very very nicely so well done netflix well done lee janiak well done everyone involved fear street is very good
1: yeah no i largely agree with all of that um i do think that all the stuff in 1666 is fine and it works and you know they com- convincingly evoke the time period from the visuals to the acting but due to the nature of the part of the story that it's telling, it's not as fun or as scary as the previous installments of the trilogy. But when that mid-movie twist happens, and as James says, you loop back to uh, the first sort of, you know, part of the trilogy, that is when it got really great for me. It's fun, it's scary, it's exciting, and it's just so damn clever. And, you know, as somebody who frequently bemoans the stupid character decisions in horror films, I've got to give it props when I see smart character decision making. And there is smart character decision making <laughs> all the way through the second part of this movie. There's one particular bit, which obviously I'm not gonna spoil, but I was like, yes, that is exactly what I was in that situation. Why don't more people do this in horror films? Yes, thank you. And yes, that I just more of that please. I, I loved it. Purely for that, it's, it's worth watching alone. Um but I, I really, 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 really enjoyed it. I think the second part of 1666 is my favourite segment of this entire quadrilogy, if mm. you will. Um, it's really, really good. I think that's
2: fair. I, I, I will say I, I agree with you that it's not scary the sort of crucible aspect of the 17th century stuff, but I think it's chilling in the way that mm. it yeah. sort of it does have sort of like reflections of you know intolerance and prejudice and persecution stuff, and there's a lot of that. Going. I mean, it's quite an it, i mean i think it packs a punch also i like the fact that not to ruin anything but a lot of the sort of the uh more modern situations and they get explored in the past and i think i i thought quite yeah, a that was quite- well executed mm. way
0: yeah. i'm a little bit less up on it than you two i did i did appreciate them i, I like the format i just f- thought all three should have been more fun than they were in a weird Ooh. way and i saw the the certain revelations coming and I'm very bad at spotting those revelations so I, I always feel like if I've if I've seen where you're going you've done something wrong um because <laughs> I'm genuine like I've never guessed the right murderer in an Agatha Christie I don't think in my entire life I'm not good at spotting <laughs> these things so so yeah so the, the, that that kind of thing was disappointing but um but it's still entertaining and I really do like the kind of the the gonzo idea of it and um wouldn't mind seeing more. Of this kind of experimentation, just for me, it wasn't quite as sharp as I wanted it to be, but still fun. So we gave this one, I believe, four stars. Is that correct, James?
2: It is indeed. Fantastic. Four stars.
0: So that is um, much better than the rest. But can our last review beat it?
2: <laughs>
3: Let us
0: see as we look at Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, the new film from none other than Questlove.
1: uh Yes, Questlove, who people may know as the drummer. Uh, from the Roots on uh, the Jimmy Fallon show. Also check out the Roots music; it's great, uh, and he is really very really good at it.
0: Also produced Hamilton the the yes. soundtrack. Yes,
1: he's a man of many talents. This Questlove, um, but this is this is his directorial debut, and uh, yeah, after fifty years in the way, he's unearthed uh, this historic uh, Harlem cultural film festival, which had a number of amazing performances, which have never been seen up until now. And I think one of the great things about this documentary is that he merges and intermingles the performances with anecdotes uh, from sort of people who are there, from people who perform, from people who have stories from that time. And it's just really beautifully done. Um, I think one of the things that really stood out to me and I really loved was the amount of Talking Heads just enthusing about seeing so many Black people and seeing so much of the culture mm-hmm. in the same place. That happens like three or four times. And... Just watching that, it reminded me of how I felt about the Black Panther UK premiere, uh, back in 2018, which was an experience that I will never forget. Cause I it was at the Hammersmith Apollo and I came out of the station and the, when you come out the train station, the Hammersmith Apollo is like right there in front of you. I had never seen so many black people in the UK at one time in the same space. And I know how that made me feel. Sort of seeing that. So. Um, you know, watching people talk about it in, in that way, uh, really hit the spot for me. But just like on, on every level, this works on the concert level. It's amazing. The music is incredible. The performances, you had Mahalia Jackson, you got Nina Simone, uh, you had Stevie Wonder, um, you know, and Slime many, Family many more.
0: Stone. I mean, my God,
1: you know, it's just, you know, uh, an embarrassment of riches in that regard. Mm. But the story and sort of, they do a really good job of explaining what was going on in the world at that time and how that festival sort of you know was a bomb and a weapon in certain respects um, for being you know done when it was. Um, so yeah, I I completely loved it. Uh, it's yeah. great. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent agree. I mean, it is astonishing. So basically, the, the the backstory of this of this film is that, as you say, you know the Harlem Cultural Festival, this series of concerts over, I think, six weeks, wasn't it? Yeah, six weeks. Was filmed, Um, they had it ready, they were going to put it on TV, they were going to make a movie of it and nobody wanted it. Nobody mm-hmm. wants it, so all this footage just sat in a basement for fifty years, and thank God didn't get wet. Um, <laughs> and it's this, this is the same summer as Woodstock. This is the same summer as the moon landings. Those, of course, have been covered to death, and this was just kind of forgotten about. So I think Questlove has done such a great job of not just bringing us back the musical performances, which are astonishing, but also putting it in this historical, cultural, social context. And really making the case for this being a kind of pivotal moment in black history, in American history, and, and uh, something that people need to know about and need to see. So I just thought it was a brilliantly put together documentary. I have to say, like, not to be all, I was on my holidays last week about it, but I went to mm-hmm. Cannes last week, which I may have mentioned. And mm-hmm. there I saw The Velvet Underground, which is another great music documentary coming up um, about... The Velvet Underground, obviously. I've also seen The Sparks Brothers. Edgar Wright's fantastic documentary about Sparks. And I like we are in a bit of a golden age right now for musical documentaries. These are those three alone, like astonishing, mm-hmm. astonishing films. So I, I feel like we're we're very, very lucky to have this. This is in cinemas this week, by the way, but will be, I believe, on Disney Plus at the end of the month in a couple more weeks. So mm. if you aren't able to get to the cinema yet, do try and see it there. But I mean, it's going to be good on the big screen.
1: I think it's also playing at Sundance London. Um, So if you go into that, uh, try and catch it there. It is well worth the time.
0: Yeah, it did very, very well at Sundance earlier this year, and rightly so. So we gave this five stars. Five stars. In your face, Fear Street. I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. You're all so good. We like you too. Okay, that is it for this week's Empire podcast. Well done, everybody. We got through it without Chris, and he said Hooray. it couldn't be done. <laughs> <laughs> um, do join us next week for more film-related fun when we will be joined by none other than Vanessa Kirby, Princess Ooh. Margaret herself, and Aaron Eckhart, because I believe in Ooh. Harvey Dent. Um, <laughs> we may also have some very special guests coming up on our spoiler pod channel. So if you are not already subscribed to our spoilers podcasts, please do join us over there. We have some very cool people coming. Um, and of course we've recently been spoiling all of the episodes of Loki, which finished this week. So that's over there as well, but there will be much, much more coming your way. We've also got, you know, in the Heights coming up fast nine, etc. So, um, do head over that way and have a look at our spoilers podcasts channel only 2 dollars month. a um, if you haven't already. But otherwise, that is it for this week. Thank you so much to my guests of Lethal Cunning, Amon Warman. Peace. And James Dyer. Goodbye, Helen. Goodbye. And that's it from me. I am off to re-re-re-re-re-read The Wheel of Time, because you can <laughs> never read it enough. Bye.
4: Okay, guys. Whew. Sorry, guys. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. We can start the podcast. Whew. Sorry, it was late. Ah, guys?
3: Guys? Where the hell is everybody? Oh, for fuck. <laughs>